Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Nowhere is the worldwide erosion of democracy fueled by social media disinformation campaigns more starkly evident than in the authoritarian regime of the Philippine president, Rodrigo Duterte, journalist Maria Ressa places the tools of the free press and her freedom on the line in defense of truth and democracy in this really terrific, wonderful documentary film called A Thousand Cuts. And we're joined today by the director, producer, writer, and co-editor of that film, and that would be Ramona S. Diaz. Ramona, welcome back to Film School Radio. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you for the, you know, wonderful words about the film. It's so um, heartening and disheartening at the same time to see what's happening to Maria Ressa. Someone so resolute, so committed, so intelligent, so uh, insightful to be under such, uh, uh, such an attack. Uh, tell me a little bit about what inspired you to make this documentary. Oh, um, you know, when uh, Duterte became president in 2016, right. became president of the Philippines in 2016, he immediately started the drug war. And when that happened, there were a lot of um, images coming out, you know, that I was, uh, I was finding on my, like, Facebook feed. Everything, everything seems to lead to Facebook. But there were so many uh, images that I couldn't avert my, um, uh, I couldn't avert my eyes. I couldn't avert my gaze. So... I said, there, there's something here. Look, I grew up in the Philippines. I grew up under martial law. I'm a martial law baby. So for me to see all these horrific things that were happening, I just needed to go back and see for myself. And so the idea was really to make a film about the drug war. But when I got to um, the Philippines, a lot of people were making a film about the drug war. A lot of films have since come out about the drug war. So um, I wanted to look around some more. And there was Maria. Maria Ressa, who was not only talking about the drug war, but she was also talking, connecting it to disinformation and impunity um, uh, and, and the intersectionality of that. And no one, you know, she started talking about algorithms and Facebook and disinformation in 2016. Barely anyone was talking about it then. So to me, it was more still very specifically a film about the Philippines, but also more global at yeah. the same time because of the disinformation, because that's happening everywhere. It resonates, I think, globally. And so that's why. And then, of course, the more I got to know Maria, the more it was really apparent that, you know, she was sort of the center of the film. Because as you said, she's pure, um, she's a pure like at heart, a journalist, right? That's what she does. She shines the light and she calls um, people out. That's what, you know, you're not called the fourth estate for nothing, right? Because you call out power. And without that, really democracy, it's hard to have a democracy. It's impossible to have a democracy without, without yes. a vibrant free press. That's one, one of the reasons why it's the only institution that I know of that's actually named in the constitution as something that is, that is so basic and fundamental to to uh, to what they were hoping w our democracy would be, right? 
Yes, yes. And so, the, you know, um, would-be authoritarians go after the independent free press, the very first things they go after, right? right. Journalists right. and then academics. Right. <laughs> and then the opposition, right? So uh, I, I saw it happen. Like I said, I grew up under martial law in the Philippines in, um, you know, back when. <laughs> uh, under the... Uh, Ferdinand. Ferdinand Marcos, right? Yeah. And that's what they did. So, yeah, it's, uh, of course, right? The journalists are the first to be targeted. Well, let's talk about what Maria Ressa does as, as a journalist and her organization, Rappler. And sort of give us some context. If, if there was uh, something akin to Rappler here in the United States, would democracy now be something of, of an, a, a sort of a, akin to it? Or what yes. would, what would or, you say would be a, an equivalent? Oh, my God. What would be akin to that? Um, so, so it's a mix of, I guess, pro-publica and democracy now. Yeah, Would that yeah. be a good, you know? Yeah, I think so. That's what, it, yeah. But yeah, it's the only um, online news site in the Philippines. They were born, they were actually born on Facebook. That's, they, it first started as a Facebook page before it was Rappler. And then it became, you know, its own, it has its own platform now, Rappler. But it did start as a Facebook page. And um, if you ask Maria, if you talk to Maria, she re- her, her one line, her elevator pitch was... Um, uh, it's uh, it's journal or I'm paraphrasing her, but it's journalism mixed with communities of action. Because I think she had worked for CNN. She was bureau chief for um, for CNN for a very long time. So she was really the face of CNN in Southeast Asia, right? So when she left, that she was tired. She said she was tired of just throwing stories into this black hole. She wanted it to mean something, and that's why she merged technology, uh, journalism, and action, right? Uh, communities of action, I guess, advocacy, which was, you know, uh, a little controversial, right? When you start mixing journalism and advocacy, that's always a line you don't cross, but more and more so it's, um, it's needed, right? Especially if you're fighting for facts, right? Exactly. We find ourselves worldwide fighting for some basic truths, and those basic truths are being obscured, obfuscated, yeah, we live in a, a world that I don't, it's hard to imagine that it would be here, that we would, when the internet came into existence, it was thought to be, as did television, when it came into existence, it was thought to be, wow, this window into a world, there will be peace and, and, and love abounding over the world because we'll now have an opportunity to tr- truly and clearly understand the world we live in and what has happened. I guess let's call it good and bad, right? If the good people could use it for, uh, for, democratizing right well the opposite side could use it as well right it's just now the opposite side is really weaponizing it um against uh journalists and activists and uh people who speak out against the prevailing powers yeah in a country like the philippines especially but rappler sort of going back to that question uh, do people in the philippines pay attention to it what is the influence that i guess that rappler and maria Ressa have in terms of the discussions, the political discussions, uncovering corruption. How, what, what is the impact it's having? It's or, having, it's more impactful now, the more the president makes them like the, the object of his uh, derision, okay. <laughs> say, because he does, okay, the very first time that he mentioned Rappler, um, and he, he accused Rappler of being foreign owned, right? This was in the State of the Nation address Okay, in 2017, right? 
So the more he amplified Rappler, the more Rappler's voice became amplified then, right? People were paying now, were paying attention. So they do have a uh, reach. It is, it, it is in English and some of it is, is um, in Tagalog now. So they have translated some stuff, but you know, English is spoken widely. It, it does the opposite effect, right? Because yeah. if you call someone out, especially the president at the state of the nation address, call someone out and some and her company out, the more, (laughs) the more they'll get attention. And it's just been that way. He keeps calling them out. And I think, um, um, so uh, yeah, the reach is right. And they're the only online news site in the country. That's purely online. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Ramona SDS, and she is the director of this new documentary film called Thousand Cuts. And A Thousand Cuts will be available on virtual theatrical release coming up here very soon, August 7th. And I'm going to recommend that you check out the the, uh, film site called A Thousand Cuts. And there you can find out more about the film, more about the filmmakers, as well as how you'll be able to watch A Thousand Cuts. Yeah, it's a a thousandcuts.film. There is uh, some striking parallels to between Rodrigo Duterte and the way he came into power. And there is some information in this film that I wasn't aware of that came from the, uh, the breakdown of the Cambridge Analytica company and how it impacted the Philippines, but echoes of what has happened here in the United States, what happened first in the Philippines. You want to talk a little bit about how what happened in the Philippines sounds vaguely, not vaguely, very familiar to people in the United States. You think? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, um, not so much in um, in the election itself, right? It was after the election that, well, he sold his war on drugs. And, um, and Cambridge Analytica was in the Philippines in 2015. Um, now, it's, um, uh, it's not entirely sure that, uh, you know, they were influential in the election itself, but pro after Duterte became president, because they started seeding this narrative about the drug war and how it was a good thing. And the numbers started rising. But people still believe that, you know, it was about safety, but people were dying, right? It was, to this day, a lot of people buy it. They, they, they buy that it is connected to law and order. Drugs were not a primary concern of the Filipino people pre-2016. But uh, after, you know, when you pound it so much, it becomes truth, right? President Duterte talked about it a lot. He also came on the scene where... In, as a law and order guy, right? Right. Sound very familiar? similar. It's very similar yeah. to Donald yeah. Trump, right? I mean, there's and so many similarities here we're seeing. Exactly. And he connected the drug war to law and order. And of course, it came, he came on the scene where just as, you know, um, crime was rising in the Philippines, right? So it was, it, it, he gained a lot of support. He was also an outsider, you know, like, like, like Trump. Um, he was a provincial mayor and he was going to come to the capital and um, change everything. And he spoke differently. He spoke like a regular guy. I don't think he speaks like a regular guy because I know no one who speaks like that. But he's, what they, I think what people were, were saying was he spoke, he did speak like a regular politician. But as you see in the film, um, it's, a, it's a, a language full of violence. Yeah. And it's also misogynistic language, you know. Uh, if that's regular, I don't. I I disagree. I think what people mean when they hear him is like he doesn't sound like a politician. Right. And 
this is the truth. So I think he fired up some kind of imagination, you know. I mean, he really, um, I think his victory was also a product of the failures of the, of the revolution of 1986. It didn't fully deliver, right? And people were just tired and they saw this guy as an outsider is going to, He's going to revenge all the ills, just like Patricia Evangelista says in the film. And so he, he won the um, hearts and minds of people. I mean, it was just insane. He didn't win by a landslide because there were five candidates. It's hard to win by a landslide, but he won by a large margin. You know, it's now, uh, wait, four years in? 2016, yeah, 20, four years in. And uh, I think the pandemic has done him in because the economy's tanking. And he... Um, his response to the to COVID is the same as his response to the drug war. It's right. a police response. It's not a public health response. Right. So even right. if the country has been, it's been in lockdown for 19 weeks already, strict lockdown, uh, there is no testing, there is no tracing. So what is the point, right, of having all these people? But it is, it helps him right? Because he just shut down the biggest um, broadcasting corporation in the Philippines, ABS-CBN. So it's like uh, shutting down CNN, I guess. In this, or no, uh, one of the bit like uh, shutting down Fox, say. Right. Well, well um, then, l- yeah. let me, because we just have a couple of minutes. How close, uh, what you're describing sounds like uh, a, a, a authoritarian state. How close are we to a formal totalitarian state in the Philippines and bringing it back to your film? Because we see so many of these threads in the film, A Thousand Cuts. We see how destroying, undermining the freedom of the press, directly threatening journalists, actually talking about assassinating journalists, killing journalists. He spoke about, before he became president, about how he killed people and he was proud of it. And and it, it kind of harkens, I don't know, maybe this is too far of a stretch. It harkens to what Donald Trump said. I could walk out on Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and no one would care. There's a, there's a similarity in these particular kind of approaches to talking to the public about what you believe in. It, it, is it a stretch or are, how close is the Philippines to being a, a formal authoritarian state? You know, he brags that he doesn't even have to declare martial law. Um, to go after the oligarchs. That's what he's, you know, that's what he said recently. Right. And Maria has said that, you know, let, let's face it, let's, be, let's, let's stop the pretense, right? Because the fact is he holds all the branches of government, right? right. You saw in my film, midterm elections, the slate, he won, he won the Senate. So he holds that, he holds the Supreme Court. And of course, you know, he's the executive branch. So he no longer has to declare martial law. And the thing with... Um, with President Duterte that Marcos never did. He does everything through this veil of legitimacy, right? Everything through the courts. Like he takes Maria to court. He, he, he um, disallows the franchise of ABS. It seems so legitimate, but it's illegitimate because it's bogus charges, but it's still through uh, 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 sort of this court system. So he doesn't have to declare martial law. And he, he brags about not even having to declare martial law anymore. It's, it's really pretty what? incredible. But one thing about that, and we again, we see all of this in A Thousand Cuts, it's the acquiescence of everyone else to this, to bending to his will in this. And I, without, you know, again, extrapolating too far, we see that here. We, you know, we have a Senate that could stop Donald Trump from doing the most outrageous things in two seconds. It wouldn't take but, but Mitch McConnell to walk out on the floor and say, this is not, this is unacceptable. And this whole thing would be over with. 
It's, uh, this is the thing that I think, you know, as an American watching your film, this is about 95 days away from happening here. In my opinion, I'm just, I don't want to put you on a limb here, but I'm just saying <laughs> it's right here in front of us. Yeah, I never thought, you know, I, I partly believe it, and I never ever thought I'd partly believe that uh, because I always believed in the stronger institutions here. I go back and forth between the Philippines and the U.S. Right. And to me, it was always different. I always knew when I was in the Philippines. I always knew when I was in the, the, in the States. But now it's becoming so, um, so the same, and it's scary. I never thought I'd live to see the day. I never thought I'd live to see the day when you send troops into Portland, right? right. It's like, no, federal troops without right? identification, right? I mean, we're talking a very, yes. But I, I think I, the institutions here are stronger than the institutions in the, the, the Philippines. That's why it's, uh, it's more fragile there, right? Because right. we were, gosh, it, when was the revolu people power revolution was in 86. It was this long to build those institutions, you know, right. and we were barely there, you know, not barely, we we're almost there, but not quite. Right. So it's still, the, the institutions are weaker and therefore scarier. So, right. because, uh, you know, it, it can go away like this, but obviously here it's also going like, and I, I do, I, I do hear you and I do agree. The people who are complicit, I mean, we know what Duterte is. He, he ran on the drug war. We heard him before he became president. We, we knew what Trump was. He will always be that way. It's the people around them that remain silent. They have, I think, you know, they have a lot to answer for. They have more to answer for because Trump will always be Trump. Duterte will always be Duterte. Right. But, but we always people around them. It's the people around them. Right. We always assume that once they get in power, well, they'll mitigate they will themselves. They won't be that person. They're trying to get elected. They're trying to do certain things that other politicians haven't done. But that hasn't been the case in, in either one of these particular leaders. And I, I, I have a friend who grew up in Chile. She was arrested during the Pinochet uh, regime. She was tortured. She came to America. And she keeps, she's been telling me for a, a long time, this is happening here, what happened in Chile. And I've never believed her. And to a large extent, I still believe institutionally we're stronger than that. I, I really, at my core, I do believe we are able, we will be able to mount a, a significant and successful counter revolution if you will or whatever you want to call counter political movement but i have to tell you these last this last month or so has really rattled my cage I, and i'm you know people should see a thousand cuts and i guess what i want to come bring it back to that yeah. it is it is what this is what we need to know this film is what we need to know thank you yes and and, and to maria reza i know she's under a tremendous amount of duress right now my hat's off to her my heart goes out to her for what she's done and standing up to all this and to you as a filmmaker because watching this film i kept thinking you have been placing yourself in it in a in a place in a position where you're you're obviously identified as someone who put who's done this kind of work in the past and uh i you know be careful be careful thank and you. yeah thank you yeah but we all we all do this work right i mean yeah. uh yeah. what am i a documentary filmmaker for then if i shy away from this kind of story well, congratulations on a thousand cuts um, and come back anytime, Ramona. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you. The thank film, you. again, is a thousand cuts. We've been talking with the director, producer, writer, and co-editor of this wonderful documentary film called A Thousand Cuts. That would be Ramona SDS. Thank you so very much for being you're, here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 